welcome to QTalks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. I'm Shreya. And I'm Thomas. And we are your hosts for QTalks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not the typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. This week on QTalks, we are talking to Martin Frost, co-founder and former CEO and now non-executive director of CMR Surgical. Martin has a background in history and has now become a technology entrepreneur. Hello, Martin. Welcome to the show. Hi, <laughs> Tom. It's great to be here. Maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm... Uh proud Mancunian, <laughs> northerner. Um, I spent the early days of my life in in Manchester and mm. uh, ended up in Cambridge doing a history degree. You might well ask how on earth does the historian end up doing what I've done? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> we might come back to that, but yes, history. Um, came to Cambridge three years, then went back to Manchester. Uh, found Cambridge at that time a bit too elite for me, mm. elitist and exclusive, and I didn't feel as though I fit in. So I went back to Manchester and um, actually initially trained as an accountant. I'm, I'm a terrible accountant now, to be honest, <laughs> but I'm um, grateful for having done it. Um, then moved from there into uh, work for a client of the audit firm that I'd qualified with and then discovered I could write software. Mm -hmm. uh, this was early days of uh, executive information management information systems and that took me into IT so I had a sort of finance and IT background and and was lucky enough to get involved in buying companies for the company that employed me mm -hmm. both in Europe and then America so lived in America um, and to cut a long story short I ended back in Cambridge in the late 1990s mm -hmm. working for a company then called generics and now called Sagentia, which is part of the science group. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and have been here ever since starting, building, exiting technology companies as mm -hmm. a historian who doesn't really know a great deal about science. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in, in your journey up until now, what do you think have some been some of the most defining moments in your career? I think people have the biggest influence on you and I was very fortunate to be recruited into Cambridge by generics and by chap called Gordon Edge and people who worked with him and they he was one of the sort of founding fathers of the Cambridge phenomenon, Cambridge consultants, PA technology and Sagentia is one of about a half a dozen companies around Cambridge that does breakthrough product development for companies all over the world and the reason why that was pivotal for me is because previously I'd worked in companies which were pretty much linear companies they, I, I, by which I described them as being they had a product, they would iterate it, they would sell it, they would market it and go, go around that loop again. And to work in this sort of fascinating cluster of Cambridge consulting companies were they were constantly solving uh, problems for for their customers, for their clients on a weekly, monthly basis. And and you would then see that product launched. Mm -hmm. That 
very fast cycling of sort of idea through to um, solving a problem, um, putting a product into manufacture, into the regulatory process. That for me was it's, it's totally intoxicating that you could move from an idea to seeing a product come out quickly. Um, it's what Cambridge is, is fantastic at because of its diverse mm. skill set here. Um, something that we should treasure. And so you're now at CMR Surgical. Yeah. So could you tell us about how you got there and maybe what CMR Surgical does for people that don't sure. know? Sure. So CMR Surgical, we changed its name actually. <laughs> so CMR Surgical was sort of launched as Cambridge Medical Robotics, which is a bit more helpful because if I'd said Cambridge Medical Robotics, you'd probably understand what we do. Yeah. Sort of self-disclosing name. CMR Surgical is a bit more tricky, but we have... What we are now known for is we have launched into the market a next generation uh, medical device. It's a surgical robot to help surgeons do the vast majority of laparoscopic cases with the aid of uh, an intelligent machine or a robot. Um, We've moved very fast to do that. So with my friends and colleagues, we started the company in January 2014 and uh, our first product was launched on the market last year. So to go from having an idea to actually t- to come up with a device which 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 met a real problem we'll probably come on to that in a minute and uh, design develop putting into manufacture take it all through the approvals get it CE mark and then in patience within five and a half years of launching the company that that's a f- that's phenomenally fast it's almost for, unheard of for a for a devices company and we've been Again, very fortunate to draw on the talent around here. Not just engineering and sort of technology talent, which is sort of a given, but actually we've also had quite a lot of help from the clinician surgeons at Adam Brooks uh, because understanding your market, what people will actually use your product for, is terrifically important. So we've just moved very fast in every dimension. You know, mm. very fast in raising the capital we have, very fast in growing the company to around about 520 people today very fast in launching the product. It's now launched um, to two continents and building. And and we've also, in that process, built very fast to build a now recognised brand in, in medical devices. So, yeah, we haven't slept much. So <laughs> it's, it's a very impressive story. And, and I think there are very many elements that are mm. worth talking Picking about. Away. Sure. Uh, so, so maybe let's start with the beginning. What motivated you and and your co-founders to start the company in the first place even though you probably were aware at the time that we're already fairly established companies in in the market Mm. although the company was started in january 2014 actually that this question that discussion was a live one between us for probably 18 months before we started the company Mm -hmm. because it because i'm a very firm believer is in in purpose-led companies. For me, understanding the why, why are we doing it, why is there a need, mm-hmm. how, um, is fundamental to to how, how, I, how I want to lead companies. And although there was indeed, and, and are companies putting uh, robotic solutions into surgery, if we want to leave it at that sort of macro level, we, we believe that many of them hadn't actually fulfilled even their own mission which 
ultimately was is to transform surgery, not just put an interesting technology in the hands of a, a surgeon. Ultimately, it's got to, we felt it had to be about looking at how many patients benefited from the technology. Ultimately, that was the true test we felt of whether the, whether the innovation had uh, was was going to make, make that transformation. And we looked around the world and we felt that robotics was enabling companies to to build themselves as to be valuable companies, but it hadn't really delivered the end mission of reaching millions and millions of patients around the world. So if you, if, so we, as we thought then, and still believe now, if you think about it from the patient backwards, you know, in the world there are still 10 million people who ought today to get the benefit of minimal access surgery who, for one reason or another, don't get it because it's a hard procedure to do. Um, for excellent surgeons, automation and robotics ought to, ought to have already transformed that equation and hadn't. And it was as we asked ourselves the question of well, why it should have done, why hadn't it, that in the end we came up with what is now Versus and the way in which CMR is started. And we believe that some of the elements of that were versatility in the form factor. Mm-hmm. So being able to move easily around the patient, easily around operating rooms, using the space well. Versatility in terms of the device extending the capabilities of the surgeon, the surgical team, rather than needing the surgeon, the surgical team to adapt themselves to the way that it wanted to do a procedure. We wanted to make that transition of, if you like, laparoscopy through to, if you like, robotic assisted surgery as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. That's why the de- design is biomimicking. You know, when we have surgeons, surgical teams coming into the operating room, very often their first reaction is the most telling, which is, oh, wow, we didn't realise it was so small and manoeuvrable and we can just see how we would set it up to do a inguinal hernia or, uh, you know, hysterectomy. It's it's very intuitive uh, in terms of its design. So I believe that was very important because if you build a device or design a device which is ultimately versatile, that means you can significantly increase the utilisation of that device. Mm-hmm. And and this was very much a, a sort of integrated and aligned approach to design, which is that we had to be believe and, and, and actually have um, a great deal of confidence that we could not only design it with the versatility we require, but we could deliver it at the right cost point or the price point. And the right price point for the customer is also a function of versatility because the more that customer uses the device the more affordable the device will become. And if we want, if we believe that the advantage of robo- ro- robotics will enable surgery to, to be transformed, we just want it to be used as often as turning on the light in the operating theatre. Mm-hmm. So very integrated sort of thinking around design, economics, health economics, uh, human factors, and then put it all together in what I still believe is the best, one of the best places in the world to build this sort of company, which is Cambridge. Because you, you need a very, very diverse set of capabilities, skills in order to put this sort of business together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very complex uh, mechanical engineering, um, embedded hardware, software, data, system engineering. This is we still have, but you know, 160 to 180 very high quality engineers in the company who who, who are terrifically important to, to, to that value proposition. So very firmly a sort of company with its tentacles in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. So it all sounds 
very well thought out and well constructed, <laughs> um, possibly in hindsight. Yeah. Um, was that the case in day one? Or if not, how did, uh, mm. as it was then Cambridge Medical Robotics, mm. how did that look? Um, because I'm aware that to a lot of people, kind of success stories sound great, but then mm. for founders at day one, mm. there's little to mm. Mm. kind of relate to. So mm. like in, in reality, what, what did, what it, look did like? it look like? And what were maybe some of the pain points that you encountered? Okay, so I said to you that th this debate around why robotics hadn't transformed surgery was an 18-month discussion between us. It was never our plan that it should be 18 months discussion. It took us 18 months to raise the seed capital to start the company. Because in hindsight, of course, it, it looks like, well, CMR was always going to be a good bet. Well, apparently not. You know, if you'd looked at, you know, I, I'd been lucky enough to raise a lot of money for technology companies in Cambridge. And we'd, you know, we struggled uh, in the first sort of 12 months of that, you know, that journey to find the right financier the right the right investor um, because if you look at actually what we had we were very much a market pool driven company which we believe has given us great advantages um, over the lifetime of the company the disadvantage is at the point where you're raising money you don't have the demonstrator or the prototype to put on the table mm -hmm. to convince uh, investors that, that you have something so if so flip side, if you look at what, what did we actually have, we had a absolute, an absolute conviction that we could do this and that if you added together our, our collected experiences in building products, launching products, um, raising finance, building companies, we had that between us as founders. But we, we didn't have the, the sort of game-changing technology to put on the table at that point. We had a plan. Yeah. And it was my and our job to convince people that we would be true to our word because the, we actually needed the seed capital in order to build the prototype that demonstrate that actually we could do this. That was very, very hard, that step. Subsequently, actually, every, every, every sort of financing round since then has been less fraught, partly because it was really important to us at that stage that we aligned our interests with investors very often people who start companies entrepreneurs see finance and financiers as a necessary evil you have to raise the money how little of the company can you give away in order to raise the money you need we very much saw it as a partnership with our investors and actually even at the seed stage of the company we we recognised that we would need to raise an awful lot of money probably more money than had ever been raised by any devices company in this in this country and to do that we would need to build a lot of trust in those relationships between the team and the investors to do that we we sold or gave away or you know they earned um which is probably more appropriate the you know, a large stake in the company from the moment the company was started so people talk about um you know the lack of value add if you like that that investors actually bring we we never saw it that way we were prepared to give away what was over 50% of the company at that early stage, which mo I mean there will be no companies around here within 10 miles of here who will be thinking of doing that today. But the reason we did it is because we knew we would need those backers to stand by us in future rounds. Although we did, we've done this very fast, five and a half years from start to, to launching a product, this, we're, always, we're always playing a very long-term game here and we wanted to know that 
you know, the investors, the early investors would stick by us. And of course, they're incentivized to stick by us because they own quite a lot of the company. Yeah. Um, so we've concentrated on making, if you like, the economic value of the pie as big as possible rather than worrying about whether we're giving an investor too big of a slice mm. and believing that in the end, if we get, if we got to the end, that it would all be worth a lot more money. So that, that was one of the, probably the biggest issue we, we yeah. faced. So the five years from start to, yeah, launch, launch. to launch for the product, mm. um, how has that actually been possible? What do you think mm. you, uh, you or the company have done in order to make that possible? Um, because it's very commonly known that entering into the medical devices field and CE marking and mm. the clinical trials and everything mm. is such a huge barrier mm. in people's mind. Mm. Um, should it be and what other ways that people can mm. kind of do what you've done? So it, for a lot of companies, it's almost two stages of development. It's almost like an engineering project mm. to prove that something works. And then it's what you might call the medicalization of an engineering product. So it's a two two step process. We never saw it like that and actually one of our first hires was the head of quality and regulatory affairs at CMR so we recruited that person within within about six seven months yeah. of starting the company and we were very f very quick to engage with our you know our auditors and very quick to get our ISO 13485 certificates I think that I think we got that ISO 13485 certificate within about 18 months of the company being started just for people who is, don't which know is what a, that is it's it's a it's a um, quality standard for devices companies in terms of design and development and depending yeah you have to expand it if you're going to do manufacturing. We did that very very quickly um, and prioritised the quality management side of of the product development process and embedded it into the company from day one. I think the problem you have if you do it in two stay in two stages is you can do the engineering a lot faster but actually it takes you an awful lot longer than to do the inverted commas medicalization if you like of of the product so i think that was a wise thing we had done and then because we had recruited quite a lot of people from the from the consultancies if you like in cambridge they came with a knowledge of having done this many times not not in robotics per se, but in devices per se. So familiar with uh, the steps you have to go through. Um, verification, validation, test, testing, mm. uh, protocols, etc. So you can find those people yeah. around here in Cambridge. And then we've then deployed agile methodologies, not just in the way that sort of software, in there's an awful lot of software inverses, but we've actually applied that type of thinking, those methodologies, Sort of parallel planning, execution throughout the entire business. I think we were still doing daily and weekly sprints in the company two years after the company was started with the whole company. Mm. Couldn't do that now. Those processes were, in retrospect, very, very important. And, and wrapping around it all, this clear sense of why were we doing this. There's a chap called Simon Sinek who's written uh, sort of management books on sort of route to walk start with why because companies are very good normally at starting with the with the what and then they get to the how and may and maybe they never get to the why you know why why are they in business at all um for us it it wasn't enough it was never going to be enough just to build an in just to be an interesting technology company actually ultimately 
changing people's lives through putting a good product in the hands of a good surgeon was always why why we were around mm. and 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 that vision that mission actually has has then dictated how fast we have gone and how big we've also had to become in the doing of that because if you don't want to just be a technology licensing company and medical devices actually the task is quite complicated you have to build a world-class professional education function you have to build world-class commercial team world-class clinical team world-class quality team you you, although your engineering team is great our engineering is now no longer 50 percent of the business it's less than 50 percent of the business so you have to you have to set your we've had to set ourselves uh upon actually a new task we've set ourselves which is you know how do we build the uk's largest medical devices company because mm. the uk is not good at medical devices you know we don't have that many companies in the uk that that are that are even the top 50 or top 100 leading global medical device companies in the world so to do that now we've we've, we've we have had now to recruit people from outside of cambridge mm and add those skills and integrate that within a culture that's very firmly set within within Cambridge and really determines how we do business. So when you're talking about uh, being a global company, mm. are you mostly focused on the developed economies or also the developing because it's in the medical field mm. as most, but I feel like that's an important distinguisher mm. and affects Sure. your whole process yeah. in terms of supply chain cost pressures yeah. your model your product everything so so in addition to being launched in the nhs uh and the uk we are launched in india and and one other uh, european country the biggest part of our install base is in india um and we get asked many times well why why did we do that and the 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 implication behind the question is often well you know, have you cut corners by going to India first is the implication of the question. We've never seen it like that, believing that actually, although the US is the biggest market in healthcare devices today, India and China will become just as large markets for healthcare medical devices in the medium to long term. So 1.4 billion people, you know, India could easily become the second largest market for robotics in the course of the next five years. So we don't see India as a sort of, just as a proving ground to go launch in the USA. We see India as a big market in its own right. And we've now, we now employ 30 to 40 people in India. And how does, how does it differ then in terms of, um, maybe okay. not India because it is an emerging, emerging sure. economy, but um, places like South America, Africa, that, yeah. um, kind of what they need is different the yeah. costs are different i think so i'm, I'm going to ask, answer this question quite specific so, so in our world there is a there is if you like a a target or a benchmark for costs and that is the cost of the price of the instruments that surgeons are using to do laparoscopic surgery today that's a, that's kind of a given okay. our drive as a company is to is to get the price of a procedure, a robotic procedure, a robotic assisted procedure, as close to the cost of manual instrumentation as possible. And to and as far as we can, we want price parity around the world. So to, to achieve this goal of universal access, 
we have to make it as affordable as we can. Mm. Um, so we've set ourselves this sort of engineering task of how do we design an instrument and a system which is complex and yet ultimately can be manufactured at close to the same price as a manual straight stick instrument. And then the second thing is we've then been very clear with the market that we that we don't want to sell it at differential prices mm-hmm. around the world. The fact that we have also then said to hospitals we want to align with them and how they get paid is also quite different in our space. So robotics has been sort of in the capital equipment space for most of the last 20 years. We're wanting to move this a lot more into the surgery as a service space mm-hmm. where we get paid almost on the basis of every single procedure that that is being done so that all the incentives are aligned they're aligned with how the hospital gets paid how the patient gets treated the quality of the procedure in the end mm. one one notion i find really fascinating in in your evolution is this notion of of speed and agility mm. yeah And I'm wondering how much of this is intrinsic and how much of it is being put on you from from external pressures? It's both. Mm -hmm. Although we're 500 some people and although we've raised more than 300 million pounds to do this to date, which has been phenomenal, we're well backed by great investors. We're now competing with the largest companies in the world, not just the large US incumbent companies, but Johnson Johnson, Medtronic and others have have said publicly that they will seek to enter this market. So it has become what you might call an arms race, not a sort of military arms, but a sort of robotic arms <laughs> race, I would say. Mm. And that's important. But of course, it's you also have to balance that against the desire to introduce something into the market responsibly, medi- in, a, in a medically respons- clinically responsible way. And we're very firmly committed to that sort of I- those ideal procedures. It's almost, it's almost a bit easier for people, for folk in the company now compared to four or five years ago, actually, because it's pretty difficult to envisage, mm. envision a, an entire surgical robotic system doing what it does today, so in 2014, 2015. Now it's a bit easier because we can take people into demo room and show them the, the manufacturing floor. So it's a, it's a bit easier. It's, more t- it's a very tangible product. People, you know, people identify with it very, very strongly. I think the, the drive is both. I think as business leaders, entrepreneurs, we want to lead our businesses to to global success. A bit of a frustration I have, although Cambridge has been a wonderful place for us to live the last 23 years, is that you know, we talk about Cambridge ideas changing the world. And maybe that's true. But there aren't any what I would call big product companies in Cambridge. A lot of that technology is licensed. And it's an entirely different path to take to seek to build a product company, product manufacturing company, medical devices company in Cambridge. And that's very much part of what we hope to see as our as our legacy. We want, yeah, you know, we we want the sort of skills in Cambridge that moves something from being an interesting technology to, a, you know, a product that you can put in somebody's hands. We we want people in Cambridge who really want to do the last five percent of the engineering to get it to be great as opposed to just good enough. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously the the vast majority of people who are here in Cambridge just want to be here to do the next generation system design, less, less interesting to do the last 5% on how well does one of your instrument cut? It's all in that. It's all in that. Uh, actually, 
we have those skills in this country, but not so much around Cambridge, actually. So we've had to recruit a lot of those in. So you talk about the, the arms race. Yeah. Um, this might sound like an odd question, but how far in the future do you plan intentionally? And so how much of up until now was planned and how far in advance? And from here onwards, mm-hmm. what's the future plan for CMR Surgical? The quite scary answer to that is that those are, you know, th- these were conversations in, in odd buildings in Cambridge in 2012, you know, pubs and uh, people's front rooms, uh, church creches. I think we were in all of those places <laughs> to try and build our plan. Actually, what we have done as a company and the way in which we did it was very much as planned. I said that whilst we didn't have very much at the start, it was very difficult to raise the money. And that is true. But what we did have is we had pretty clear plan in our minds as to how we would do the resources we would need and how we would need to go through design steps in the first sort of four years, five years or so. I think the, 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 the what happens next in CMR is, you know, we do have pretty broad strokes around that at the moment. Um, we're in this interesting area of sort of predictive, you know, rather than sort of AI, I'm going to say machine learning, you know, we, 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 we get a huge amount of data from every single procedure which is done with our robot. And every single procedure which is done with our with our with Versius it goes onto a clinical registry. So those are two really important and very big data sets. And we you can see how in the future the learnings that we can get out of those two data sets ultimately enable us to help surgeons potentially become better surgeons, help healthcare companies better understand the quality of the surgery that they are delivering, help us better understand how we can develop new instruments mm. so those those steps are very much in our in our mind's eye at the moment we also have to realize that it's taken us five years to get to this point uh well more than five years now six years to get to this point so of course there are many many platform technologies actually um, embedded within versus within the, the versus um system and people have said to us, well, you know, which, area, which, which anatomical area are you going to go into next? Or, you know, how about partnering with this company to go into orthopaedics or neuro? Or those are questions we get asked. And I think there will be a time for that. But I think, I think first of all, we as a company need to become relevant in the market that we're initially addressing. And we have our install base is growing. Uh, and our and the number of procedures that 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 we've now done in human is 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 growing in hundreds, and that's fantastic. And I think we can't allow ourselves the freedom to go off and do something <laughs> quite different until we've demonstrated that you can. Well, we've de-risked actually the process of scaling a medical devices company. The step that we're in now, which is I would say becoming a global medical devices company, I expect us to take probably 18 months, two years or so to get through that, that process. Global medical devices companies, there isn't a rule of thumb here, but it's a 20 to 30 year journey. Mm. It's, it's really impressive to hear that uh, even at a very early stage, you had a very high degree of conviction and mm. purpose mm. In, in what you were doing. Mm. Uh, and you also had a well laid out plan mm. and you stuck to it, more or less. Mm. But, but surely there must have been some hair-raising mm. entrepreneurial mm. moments 
facts throughout the last yeah. five or six years. Yeah. What have been some of these, in, and, and maybe the ones you can tell about no, today? Um, our investors have always been wonderful, and in and you know cash flows always tricky. I remember a mo a moment or two in the first eighteen months of the company when we didn't make payroll. And or we had to find unusual sources like our bank accounts to make payroll from. Those moments are difficult. I think also moments where, you know, you realise that the design is great, but you can't find a supplier to deliver that particular aspect of the design at the quality you need it. And then you realise that uh, if you have to redesign it, that's going to affect everything. Because the, the issue with Versius, is, and you've seen Versius, is it's, it's, it's really a very, very complex system mm. engineering challenge. You have a console, multiple robotic arms, instruments, drapes. And actually, if you just change one of the components in one of the joints in one of the arms, that has multiple mm. uh, sort of ripple effects through the entire system. So there are many times when... The perfect design wasn't necessarily the optimum design. Um, and that's still a process, you know, as we mature our supply chain, that's still, that's an, on, that's an ongoing process. So that was difficult. We, as founders, we were very tight-knit. We have been a very tight-knit group, friends and colleagues for many years now. And the culture within the company has it's been very, is very, very strong and was very, very, very strong from a, from the get-go really i think that has helped us not make that many mistakes in terms of people i think people mistakes cost you more actually mm. than almost than design mistake because you recruit the, especially at the senior level if you recruit the wrong senior person then you have all the damage that that person might may or may not do and then you have to replace that person then you have all of the upheaval in the company while you're doing it and you know i would say personally because we all make mistakes. You know, one of my mistakes was we recruited a person who didn't fit, and, and you know we had what we had one of those setbacks, because the whole company knows they don't fit, mm. <laughs> and so you persist and 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 you tr and you try this person, but actually, you know, we lost time there. I would say, but relatively, we we've made relatively few people miss moves. And I think also Cambridge is good for that too, because people, you know, we live in actually a very close knit mm. sort of community here and people can't say they are X if in fact they're known to be Y. Mm. Word gets around. Word gets around, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, th I think we've had a tour de force of, of CMR Surgical's evolution and, and, and your experiences, which has been utterly fascinating, I have to say. Mm. Maybe to finish up with, with a fun question, what are some of the top startups you've been seeing here in, in, in Cambridge, the UK, or maybe globally even? So first of all, in Cambridge, I think if you're a business builder, entrepreneur, founder in Cambridge at the moment, we have to realise how fortunate we are. Mm. Yeah, this is really, compared to where this, this city and community were 30 years ago, the, the opportunities are phenomenal. The amount of capital there is in this town to invest in interesting things is should not be um, underestimated it's 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 massive uh, massive and it's great to see the impact that Cambridge can now have sort of nationally and beyond it's 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 uh, really beyond what we thought was 
uh, Cambridge was capable of. Um, so the things to me that are interesting and, and sort of maybe personally interesting to sure. first, so fascinating to see Evanetics funded uh, recently led by an American investor. So we're seeing increasingly American, Middle East, sort of Chinese money coming into Cambridge. And I think that you know, not just investors in Cambridge, that's, that, that's very interesting. I'm drawn not just to interesting technologies, you'll have understood that from what we've previously said, but to people, I think, people who know themselves well and are very value-driven in terms of the way they want to lead the company. So there's a company called Paragraph, mm-hmm. which is uh, seeking to sort of commercialise um, sort of graphene properties. I think Simon Thomas is... Yeah, is to, is to be admired and respected. And I'm going to be fascinated to see what um, Paragraph does. And then there's a, there's a medical device company called Sidar, C-Y-D-A-R, that you may have heard of in um, sort of overlay imaging technology, which is a really interesting space mm. that's not, that, that I know quite a lot of. So I think they're, they're interesting things for me personally in Cambridge. I think in London, you know, fintech has been a thing for quite a while now. And I think we're now seeing the emergence of some, some interesting, for want of a better world, insure tech stuff that I've had a look at. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. So there's a company called Zego, which is quite interesting in terms of insure, insurance for the gig economy. And then if you want to look at sort of globally, I was really fortunate last year to to win uh, in the... In the uh, EY Entrepreneur of the Year competition. I won the Disruptor Award in the UK, which is just about the perfect title for me, according to my family. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> the person and the company that won that award globally is a chap uh, called Brad Kuehl, and he runs a business called Uptake. And what's interesting to me is that what that company does is, it, 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 is it's building solutions in predictive software and analytics. I do think the word AI has been a bit used and abused mm. too much. But I do think that the, the next step for in this is, is sort of that predictive software and analytics. And if you go back to what I said, the interesting thing would be for CMR in three or four years' time, I'd be very interested to see where yeah, we, we've got up to in that particular journey too. I think it's very interesting. Thank you very much, Martin. Sure. Thank you for coming Welcome. on the show with us. It was such a pleasure to be getting those insights from Martin. Yes. Something that especially stood out to me is the experience of the founding team at CMR Surgical. When we've previously spoken to investors, they say how they particularly look at the founding team and their experience with past startups. And I think that experience has really shone through in the success in hindsight of CMR Surgical and how well thought through the whole process was. Very much so. And I was also very impressed by Martin's purpose-driven philosophy, mm. which seemed very strong. And he didn't seem to compromise on this, even though I'm sure there were challenging moments during CMR Surgical's evolution. And I think it's an important takeaway lesson that you should have a purpose-driven mission and you should ask, why am I doing this? So it was very refreshing to hear this from Martin. Definitely. Thanks very much again to Martin for joining us on Q Talks. This podcast was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV, and we'd also like to say a big thank you to the team at QTech for working hard behind the scenes. Thank you very much for listening, and please do go ahead and rate us or leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or theme, or tell us about your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks. Mm -hmm.